Thank you again for listening to our podcast today. Thank you so much for your support. We worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. here at St. John's Lutheran Church in the heart of downtown Martinsburg, West Virginia. Know that you're always welcome to our table and to our worship. God bless. And we hope you enjoy today's message. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, Lord. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me. But you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will not perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Praise Praise you, O Christ. You all may be seen by your children. I always have a hard time preaching on Mother's Day and Father's Day. I think I've given this speech before, but I'll give it again. I have found that usually when I do that, my words fall short, and so does the gospel. So I typically do what I am called here to do. I preach the Word of God, and I also pray. I'm also called to pray. And so for our prayers of intercession today, that's when I really want to focus on mothers, because you, you all don't need me to stand up here and tell you how great mothers are. You already know that, how great women are in our lives. Rather, we certainly do need to pray for the mothers and women in our lives. So I'm not trying to be insensitive by not talking about mothers, although today's sermon kind of talks about a very faithful woman named um, Tabitha uh, in our first lesson. Usually after Easter, I I like to preach on the book of Acts. The book of John is a wonderful gospel, but it usually doesn't leave a lot of stuff for me to preach on. The gospel itself preaches itself. But the book of Acts is a narrative that describes how the early church did ministry in a world where people were not Christian. And now we live in a world where Christianity is no longer the dominant religion. The days of Christendom have come to an end, but the church remains. So how do we do ministry that still proclaims the resurrection, the good news of Jesus Christ, while no longer having our large foothold in society? How do we live differently post Resurrection in a world where people have never heard of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts is our church's manual for doing ministry in the 21st century. So it's important to study it and it's important to spend time in it. And last week in the book of Acts, we heard the calling of Saul. I was going to preach on the, on the call and the conversion of Saul, but I heard this great sermon by Pastor Mark Vitalis Hoffman at uh, the seminary the week before and, and felt the Holy Spirit really leading me to preach and share some of those points with you. The calling and conversion of of Saul, his baptism by Ananias, his subsequent escape from Damascus by being lowered down the town's wall in the middle of the night in a basket. This narrative provides us with some sense of amazement that the church continues to grow against all odds as it lives out its mission in peace. And that it's enlivened by the fear of the Lord and empowered by the Spirit's encouraging presence. And in the midst of this excitement, that the church is experiencing in its very early days of work and ministry. Of all the amazing things happening in the church at this time, a woman dies unexpectedly. 
In the midst of these success stories, which includes Peter's healing activity in the area of the seacoast port of Joppa, comes this poignant story of sorrow and loss. In the midst of comfort, success, and growth, there is a painful reminder that the last enemy of death still lingers and threatens this early Christian's communities. In all in our own present day communities, confidence and faith in the power and promises of Jesus' resurrection. Death is still the greatest threat to our proclamation of the resurrection. The vivid description and careful detail of this story describes shock at a sudden death, the preparation for burial and the viewing and visitation of the mourners. It's an all too familiar to ones who have walked with numbness through such scenes at death and at a funeral of a loved one. For the past nine chapters, we have heard stories of great growth and success. Even though Paul is breathing threats against the church, we have heard how Paul's heart is changed by God and he becomes the greatest evangelist and writer of the early church. Even though the church is scattered because of threats against their lives and against their ministry and against their works, the good news spreads because the church was forced out of Jerusalem. The church is growing despite the danger in believing in Jesus Christ. People are hearing the word of God and responding by being baptized. Amazing things are happening here and everything seems though to stop as Peter deals with a woman who has died. It feels out of place almost in the overall narrative. Almost feels like we say we don't have time to deal with death. I don't have time to stop and deal with this, this dead woman. These, there are things for me to do in the kingdom for the church to be doing. Don't have time for this. Luke uses this phrase in verse 37, at that time. It's not the best translation. It's better to be translated as, and it came to pass in those days. This same phrase was used by Luke to tell the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth and baby John. How they would have a child even in Elizabeth's old age. And that this child would grow up and prepare the way of the Lord. Luke uses the same phrase, but uses it to talk about Tabitha's death. The birth of a child, and now the death of a faithful woman. Still in shock, the community grasps for any hope and cries out in despair, desperation for Peter to come without delay, carefully strengthening their appeal by sending two men to carry their requests. And Peter responds immediately by coming, and upon his arrival is ushered into the upper room. But it's also sanctuary of, of, of grief and outpouring of love as her friends gather around Peter and Tabitha, eager even in their weeping to detail their loss by a parade of tunics and clothing that she has made, the signs of her love and caring life. That those gathered are all the widows, witnesses both the culture and the society where the poor had their suffering multiplied and the fact that these women have no, been no stranger to death. The fact that they have been in such an upper room before does not ease their grief or pain. Luke is using some unique words and phrases in this story to recall our attention to other stories that we have heard before. While she was with them, kind of referencing while Jesus was with them, the road to Emmaus. A story where Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is revealed to the disciples. Or the upper room. What happened in the upper room a few chapters back in Luke? The narrator certainly recalls another upper room 
and one who was with him in a story that moved from death to resurrection. And it's here in this upper room that Tabitha, who was a faithful woman and who devoted her life to good works and acts of charity, experiences what it is like to move from, from dead to resurrected. This story seems a bit out of place. There is so much to do in the kingdom of God. There are, there are so many people who need to hear the word of God that our Lord is risen. Yet Peter stops what he is doing to care for this woman and her family. The church could have created a separate branch of ministry, a separate branch of people to deal with burying the dead, of caring for the dead. It matters a few distribution. The church does this in Acts 6. They elect seven deacons to do the work so that the twelve disciples can devote themselves to the word of God. They could have done this for the dead, but the church doesn't. Instead, Peter stops what he is doing and travels at once to the home of one of his flock and cares for her even in death. Acts is reminding the church, reminding us, that while ministry for the living is important, so also is ministry for the dead. If we're going to be a people of resurrection, we need to be willing to proclaim the resurrection in the face of death. We need to remind people of the resurrection in moments like these and pray with full confidence like Peter that God will act and the dead will be resurrected. Luke tells us that this miracle became known throughout many in Joppa and many believed in the Lord. People believed because they heard the message of resurrection. The reason funerals remain front and center in the church's work today is because they are a time when we can preach the gospel in its most purest form. Funeral ministry is an important work here at St. John's. We offer a meal to the families, a free meal after the funeral, something they don't have to worry about. When I hear that someone is sick or dying, everything I am doing, I drop it. And at once go and be present with them in their, this moment. This text is giving us permission to do this, to put on hold those ministries so that we can proclaim the resurrection and hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. But this is not just my job or the job of a few very faithful ladies and men who prepare funeral meals. This is the job for all of us to do. It's important work. There's nothing stopping you from bringing the resurrection hope to others in the church. The ministry work being done here at St. John's needs to be grounded in this resurrected hope. All our ministries, whether they are to care for children, whether they are to care for families, women or men's ministries, feeding, music, worship, they all need to be grounded in the resurrection. And if they're not, we need to regroup these ministries, reground these, these ministries in the faith of the resurrection. If they cannot be grounded, then we need to bury them and move on. What are you doing to proclaim the resurrection in your life, in your work? You know, this text, it doesn't answer all the questions about death that we might have and resurrection. And it leaves a lot of open questions, such as, why can't a similar miracle happen? To people today. But it does give us a certain and clear witness to the power of our Lord's resurrection, to the good news that not only in times of death, but at other t dark times, the Spirit of the risen Lord enters our world, even now, to bring life, healing, and hope.